So how do you change the world? That's one of those questions that if you're a young person, you really wrestle with. If you're a little older, you're like, I don't know. How do you change the world? I want to imagine that I was somebody that had all the resources that you could ever need. I said, I will give you all of the financial resources. I'll give you all of the smartest minds on earth. You come up with the plan. You come up with the strategy. And I'll back it, 100%. How do you change the world? Well, that is exactly what we see in this passage that we're going to be looking at today. God's plan to change everything. So follow along with me. We are in Matthew 4. We're going to start in verse 17. Matthew 4, verse 17, Jesus is beginning his ministry. He's launching his plan, and he preaches saying, repent. Change the way you think. Change the way you act. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What that means is the kingdom is about to break through. I'm about to do something new. I am about to change the world. What's his plan? Here it is in verse 18. You ready for it? It's surprising. It's a surprising strategy. He says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, and he says to us, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. How do you change the world? One person at a time. One person at a time. Jesus, when he came to set up shop on earth, to bring change, to bring the kingdom, he said, I'm going to do it one way, and that's through making disciples. How do you change the world? One person at a time. I think it's really interesting. So I preached this at the nine o'clock service, obviously, and somebody came up to me and he said, hey, I have a coin for you. And literally, this was in his pocket, and this is what it says. Changing the world one heart at a time. And then it says, Jesus as your savior is more valuable than any coin. There you go. And it's got a number on there too. Anybody want this? Anybody interested? Byron, you want it, don't you? There you go. Pass it on, my friend. Jesus' strategy was to make disciples. So today we're going to be talking about this idea of being a disciple of Jesus. What does that mean? Am I a disciple? and making disciples. How do you make disciples? Now, this is one of those very uh, churchy words, discipleship. You probably hear it a lot, especially from up here. Discipleship, discipleship. We need to be about discipleship. And everybody gets all, okay, yeah, let's get busy. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be a disciple? And so I want to give you a very basic definition. It comes from a guy named Greg Ogden. It's not a perfect definition. But it's a good one. It says, a disciple is anyone who responds to the call to follow Jesus. Come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Being a disciple is a lifelong process of dying to self while allowing Christ to come alive in us and transform our mind, our heart, and our actions to be like him. That's what it means to be a disciple. So today, as we talk about discipleship, this is going to be a bit of a casting of vision over what you're going to become. When Jesus met those fishermen, they weren't there yet. 
And we never fully arrive as a fully formed disciple. But I'm going to be casting a vision over what Jesus is going to make you into if you are following after him. And so don't feel like, okay, am I checking off these boxes in my disciple? That's not what it is. It's not a thing to check off boxes. It's a vision that's being cast over you by Jesus of what he wants to make you into if you follow him. So let's unpack that definition, which almost that whole definition, you, can, you don't have to put it back up, that whole definition can be found just in verse 18 through 20. So in verse 18, let's look at who Jesus' recruits are to be disciples. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. They were commonplace guys. No formal education, no spiritual significance to speak of. And that should be an encouragement to us. Jesus, when he went seeking his first disciples, he didn't say, I'm going to go after the smartest, after the brightest, out of the greatest leaders. He went after fishermen who spent the majority of their day catching stinky fish. Because a lot of times we feel like, okay, yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, I want to follow Jesus, but can I really be a disciple? I'm not great at theology, or I'm not a great gifted teacher or evangelist. Can I really be a disciple? I still struggle with all these different things. I'm not a good mom. I'm not a good dad. I'm not even great at reading my Bible. Can I be a disciple? And what I want to tell you is Jesus chose fishermen, everyday fishermen like you and me. That's who he recruited. Jesus says, I know where you're at, and I want you. Come follow me. And then in verse 19, we get these three power-packed statements. If you've read through your connection guide, these should be familiar to you. Mike has it on the first page about what it looks like to be a disciple. It's a vision cast over us. And I want to talk through these three power-packed statements. In verse 19, you can go ahead and throw them up there to serve as an outline for us. In verse 19, Jesus said, follow me. That is two words but packed with an incredibly powerful punch. First off, because it's an invitation. He says, follow me. He doesn't say, you have to come with me, buddy. He says, come on, come follow me. We can opt in or opt out. We have free will to choose whether we want to follow him or not. He says, come follow me. And he says, I want you to follow me. And by that, he says, I want you to follow me above everything and everyone. To put Jesus first is what being a disciple means. Above every other relationship, over every other ambition. And there's this song that we're going to sing later today. You guys are familiar with it. This really accounts for what it means to follow after Jesus first. It says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. And what do you see Peter and Andrew, James and John doing? They leave behind their nets, their profession. James and John leave behind their father Zebedee. Now, I don't want you all to go and quit your jobs. Maybe some of you should, I don't know. But definitely what Jesus says is, I want allegiance in your heart first and foremost. So it's saying, I'm going to follow Jesus first and foremost. You see why I said it's a vision cast over you? You're already thinking, oh man, I can't even check that first box. I'm never going to make it. Now, 
Next part of this, follow me, is an invitation to a lifelong process of imitating Jesus. This idea of following me is not about information. Jesus didn't say, here is a book, and there's gonna be a test on Tuesday, and if you pass the test, you can keep following me. He says, I want you, you, Mandy, I want you to follow me. Deidre, I want you to follow me. I want a relationship with you. I want you to follow after me, to draw close to me, to hear what I say, to see what I do, to be about the things that I'm about. I want to change your thoughts to be my thoughts. I want to change your passions and desires to be my desires. I want to change your actions to be my actions. You see, it's imitation. It's seeing Jesus and trying to be like him. It's a lifelong process. We never fully get there. But it's like a child who learns from his parents how to be human. Jesus says, I want you to learn from me how to be a new human. Come follow me, imitate me. Now one of the influential men in my life, his name is Hooley Goddard. Hooley was a Southern boy from Mississippi, had this great Southern drawl, and he was someone who was about discipleship. He was a gifted man, he was a gifted teacher, he was a professor, all those different things, but if you look at his life, what defined his life, it was making disciples. That's what he gave his best to. See, he had a big enough vision like Jesus to think small, to invest in a few people at a time. And I was lucky enough for him to invest in my life. And he would share his life with me. Just like Jesus shared his life with disciples. Huli would share with me about what he knew about God. He would share with me about his marriage. He would share with me about how he's raising his kids. He would share with me his struggles. And when we would lead things together, he wouldn't say, well, I'll lead this and you lead this. He said, hey, I'm gonna lead this and let me show you how I lead. And when you lead, I'm gonna give you feedback. You see, it was, it was proximity and he would ask me all of these hard questions that I didn't wanna ask myself. How's your heart? How's your relationship with Jesus? How's your relationship with Carrie? What are your dreams in the future? What are your most important priorities? You see, he invested in me. And what I found is over time, I began to think about ministry and about marriage and about life the way that he thought about it. He passed on everything he had learned to me. And a a good friend of mine was also discipled uh, by him growing up. And when we would get together, we got together this past Christmas. And when we got together, we, we tell stories and we talk about how he's influenced us. And... After a little bit of time, we always start telling jokes and telling stories. And before you know it, we're starting to talk like Hooli. Oh, hey, y'all, gather around. He was always leading retreats. Everybody, get on around here. That was his great voice. And that's the point of imitation. That lifelong process of imitating Jesus is that we would begin to walk like him and talk like him. That's the vision that Jesus cast for this is what I want you to become. And it's such a beautiful vision because it's as beautiful as Jesus himself. Now, being a disciple isn't easy, right? Being in Jesus' school of discipleship, becoming like Jesus, I mean, is there anything more impossible? And guess what? I wanna go ahead and tell you now in case you're wondering, yes, 
It is impossible to become like Jesus. It is impossible to grow in Christ's likeness if you try to do it in your own strength. If you try to grit your knuckles and try to become just like Jesus, it's impossible. It's a process, and guess what? Go ahead and throw up that slide of the come. Nope, not that one. The one before that. Uh, the one before that. <laughs> so you see, it's a process with a promise. You see that I will make you. That's the amazing thing. Jesus says, if you follow me, I guarantee you, I will make you like me. I will make you fishers of men. So it's a promise. We just follow after Jesus and seek to imitate him. And he says, I will bring the change. I've actually given you my Holy Spirit to be inside of you to change you. Follow me, I will make you. And then the last part is fishers of men. Fishers of Men tells us that it isn't just about us being a disciple, but Jesus' long-term trajectory is to make each one of us into disciple-makers. Not just followers, but leaders. That's Jesus' goal. I was talking to Brent McHugh, and he's kind of uh, another one of those on my, um, what is it, Mount Rushmore of of Christian men. And I was asking him, you know, I'm wrestling with this idea of discipleship. Our church is about making disciples. And I was like, how do you know if you've made a disciple? And this is what he said. It was simple but profound. He was like, well, you know if you've made a disciple if they're making disciples. You see, Jesus said, follow me, I will make you into fishers of men. And so Jesus is trying to craft us not only into disciples, but into disciple makers. There's a reproducible component to it. So that's the vision. Now what does it look like for the vision to trickle down into your everyday life? And I want to give you three different realms of what places that you can begin to live into this reality of being a disciple and making disciples. So go ahead and throw the target up there. Here's the deal. I don't want, I don't want for you to do all three of these. That would totally overwhelm you and you would leave here being just like, oh man, he laid it heavy, too heavy on us. I want you to just pick one of these to seek to live into this week. And these are three realms. The first is home, so that's your family. The second is church, so that's your brothers and sisters in Christ. And the third is world, which is that's your community of influence. Wherever you're influential, wherever there's people in your life that don't know Jesus, So, home, church, and world. I want you to pick one. So, the first place, the reason it's in the middle of the bullseye is your family. That is your home base for discipleship, in your home. So, if you are married, it means seeking to disciple and point your spouse to Christ. If you have kids, you are actually the God-given primary disciple-makers of your kids. That's a scary thought, ain't it? Carrie and I have a baby on the way. I'm really (laughs) in fear and trembling about the idea of being their disciple maker. But God, guess what? He will make you a disciple maker if you follow him. Now, I put family in quotation marks, even if you're single. Whoever are those people that are close in your life, your family, the people you're doing life with, that's, that's our central place that as you see the arrow going outward, it starts in the family. Now, as you think about discipleship in the family, oftentimes we think of a list of things that we're doing poorly, right? 
I think, okay, when, I, when somebody told me I need to, you know, disciple Carrie, I was thinking, okay, we need to be reading the Bible together. We need to be having family devotionals. We need to be um, praying together. We need to be on service projects, doing mission trips. And all of a sudden, before I even started, I'm like, ah, I can't do that. It's impossible. I don't want to, do, I can't do that. It's too much. There's not enough time in the day. And what I've found is that one of the most powerful places to start with discipleship, with your spouse, with your kids, is just by asking a question, a simple question. And so Carrie and I will try to, on a regular basis, say, how's your heart doing? How's your relationship with Jesus? Where are you struggling? How can I encourage you? How can I pray for you? Any of those questions. If you lob that softball into Jesus' hands, I wonder what he could do with that. So start with a simple question and say, hey, spouse, hey, my child, let me ask you this question. And guess what? Sometimes it may not work. They're like, you don't give a rat's about my heart. You know, sometimes it doesn't work, but keep at it. Keep at it. Discipleship starts in the home, and I want to give you something, uh, something to keep on your radar screen. Starting in March, the, the, first week, the first Wednesday of March, the first Wednesday of April, and the first Wednesday of May, we're going to have a course, uh, just a, a, a one-off seminar on different topics called Faith Talks. And that's going to be talking about how to bring discipleship into the home. Because we as a staff have been realizing if we're going to make disciples out in the world, it needs to start in the home. And so we've been wrestling as a staff about what that means. And so we're going to have these workshops. And I want to encourage you guys to come. It's not going to be, oh, this is exactly how you should raise your kids. It's going to be a chance for you to share your burden, share your struggles, share encouragements. It's going to be a much more of a workshop mentality. And dads especially, I want to encourage you guys to lead your family there. Say, hey, circle it on the counter. First Wednesday of March, let's go to that Faith Talks and see what it's about. Because discipleship starts at home. The second place is in the church. So maybe you're saying, I'm just going to focus on home. That's fine. You can tune out for most of the rest of the sermon. For some of you guys, you don't have any close people to walk with here at the church. You show up on a Sunday, but it feels lonely. You feel like, I don't, I don't have any brothers and sisters to be in the trenches with. Well, I want to encourage you to take a step into the community. There's an Alpha table there in the back. That would be a great place to get plugged in. Check out Alpha. If you don't know where to go, check out Alpha. And maybe you're saying, I am a disciple. I've been following Jesus. I'm on that lifelong process. Well, I want to encourage you this semester to take a step towards making disciples. That's the vision that Jesus has called you to, to make disciples. And so, what would it look like for you to grab a couple people, if you're a guy, a couple guys that you know, or a girl, a couple girls, and say, let's follow after Jesus together. Let's, let's commit to this. This friendship and this Jesus, let's run after him together. What would it look like? Most of you probably are like me. I don't know, what does it look like? Because you've probably never been discipled. You see, in the church, it's almost like this lost art of disciple-making that some generation ago, we stopped doing this life-on-life discipleship, and then we forgot how to do it. And so, I want to encourage you, if you are interested, you don't know how, but you want to, there's a burning in you to make disciples, to grab a couple people at church and go deep with them. I want for you to email me 
And if I get 250 emails tomorrow, I will be overjoyed. Now, I don't have it perfectly figured out, but I believe so much in Jesus' plan that I've decided for the rest of my life that I'm gonna pick three guys for a year at a time and walk through life and try to share with them everything that I have, like Hooli shared with me everything that he had. I'm bought in like that. And so if you're interested in that, shoot me an email. I'm not gonna have it all figured out, but we can figure it out together. The third thing is the world, that the gospel... Making disciples isn't just for our families, it isn't just for the church family, but it's actually for the whole world. And that can seem really daunting because it's like, oh, well, do I have to be like Billy Graham and go out there and you know, tell people all about Jesus? And what I wanna encourage you is sometimes sharing Jesus with somebody is as simple as an invitation. It's as simple as grabbing one of those little alpha cards on the way out and saying, I am going to take this and give this to somebody at my work or one of my friends, there's probably somebody in your life that's interested that you're a Christian. They might be the one to ask you. My wife is an introvert. And she was like, email me the other day and say, hey, there's this girl at work. I wanna send her some information about Alpha. I wanna invite her. She would be horrified if she knew I was telling you that. But guys, let me tell you this. It's as simple as an invitation. And so, Jesus calls us Come follow him, and he will make us into fishers of men. Peter, Andrew, James, and John accepted that invitation. It says that once and immediately they left their nets and they followed him. But I want you to imagine if Peter, Andrew, James, and John had not followed Jesus, if they had just lived and died as fishers of fish, they would have missed out on knowing Jesus personally and deeply. They would have missed out on all those adventures of doing ministry with him, of healing people and proclaiming the gospel and seeing people set free. They would have missed out on changing the world. How do you change the world? One person at a time. That's what they did. And that's what we're called to. Each and every one of you are invited into this life of discipleship. And so I want to just imagine for a second what your life would be like if you said, I'm gonna take a step towards Jesus. I'm gonna seek to really run after him. Imagine how you'd learn about his goodness, feel his love in your life, begin to imitate who he is to the people around you. Imagine if you said, I'm gonna try, it might fail, but I'm gonna try to bring discipleship into my home. Imagine what that could do for your marriage when Jesus shows up. Imagine what it could do with your kids. Imagine if you passed on to them everything that you knew about Jesus and then they passed that down to their kids and down to the next generation. And so that gap of discipleship, that lost art was a recovered art. And then in the church, you grabbed a few people and said, let's follow after Jesus together. We don't know what we're doing, but we're gonna run after him. Imagine how that could transform this church if no one was ever alone anymore. And everybody had somebody to encourage them on those hard days. And imagine if each and every one of you took an invitation and went out, stepped out, and handed somebody an alpha card. There would be every year a thousand people 
that would get an invitation to Alpha. And imagine that if a thousand people showed up and heard the good news and came into a church that families were discipling one another and people were discipling one another, guys, that could literally change Clay County. How do you change the world? One person at a time. Take a step. Be a disciple. Take a step to make disciples and watch Jesus change the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful vision that you've given us to change hearts. And it's your vision and you're the one that does it. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fall on us afresh. Lord, help us to pick those one or two places in our lives where we can run after you and help others in our life run after you. Lord, give us the strength to do it. Lord, make us into disciple makers, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.